Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Creative Control of Ishkana podcast is brought to you by you. Virtually all financial support for this show comes from listeners just like you. So please keep Creative Control going by making a flexible monthly donation at patreon.com slash creative control. You'll be glad you did this. Not as glad as me, but still pretty glad. Thank you. Bruce Coburn is an iconic folk and rock musician, songwriter, and singer currently based in San Francisco, California. Originally from Ottawa, Ontario, Coburn is regarded as one of the most outspoken artists of our time and has written deeply personal and poetic songs based on his extensive world travels to war zones and corrupt and impoverished third world countries, not to mention being a fierce and early advocate for ecological causes and climate change awareness. On September 20th, 2019, True North Records will release Crowing Ignites, Coburn's 34th album, and his first collection of all-new, unreleased instrumental songs. Ahead of upcoming North American tour dates, including stops at the Hillside Festival in Guelph, Ontario, on July 14th, and the Edmonton Folk Festival on August 10th, Bruce and I had a conversation about his life and times in Ottawa and Boston, his personal and professional wanderlust, how he got into music and his approach to guitar playing, his new album, Crowing Ignites, future plans, and much more. With the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, plus in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, This is the 484th episode of Creative Control, featuring the legendary Bruce Coburn with your host, me, Vish Khanna.
Hi, Bruce. How's it going? It's going very well, thanks. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Where in the world are you? I'm in uh, Beverly, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston, more or less. It's just a, just across the river from Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, uh, the, for its witch trials of old. Yes, that's true. Is it a creepy feeling? Is it creepy and weird being near the Salem witch it's trial? Only, <laughs> no, not exactly. I just had a really good lunch, but I, but it, it made a meatloaf, and I suppose the meatloaf could have been made out of something creepy, but I don't know that. <laughs> but uh, um, as it stands, uh, I, the creepiest thing is trying to find my way from the front of the theater to where the tour bus is, which on these streets is kind of peculiar. Yeah, but, just uh, just be careful, I Bruce. I don't want you getting hurt during our interview. That would be. Oh, a- I don't think I'll get hurt. I think, the, but I may be lost for a long time. Oh, I've been lost a long time myself, and I'm stationary right now. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Now, you actually... Some, some you, people would say I've been lost the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you actually spent a significant and formative period of your life in Massachusetts, did you not? Uh, yeah, I spent a couple of years going to Berkeley in Boston, Berkeley School of Music. Right, but it wasn't, and, uh, it wasn't the best experience in some ways, right? Well, it mostly wasn't the best experience because of the age I was and the stuff you go through when you're at the end of your teens but boston was okay to be in berkeley was a good school but i spent i yeah i don't know it was a lonely <laughs> time and, and kind of you know I, I i knew some peculiar people that some of whom were interesting and some of whom were kind of not so nice but it was a really educational time on all fronts again partly because of where i was at in my life but because the school was teaching me Stuff that didn't, at the time, seem like it would be useful, but has had a long-lasting effect. You, you that did, was good, and yeah, you went to the Berkeley College of Music. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, and if I'd have, if I'd stayed till I graduated, I would have had a Bachelor of Music degree and been qualified to teach music in high school. But the rule of thumb, or the mythology, was that if you were any good, you wouldn't graduate anyway because somebody would hire you. In my case, that that wasn't what happened. I just dropped out because I realized. And it wasn't for me, but um, you know. Anyway, I meantime I was studying composition and uh, playing in a jug band on the side and getting to hear a lot of all kinds of different music. So it was good, actually. Yeah, you had some access to some cool folk clubs and stuff like that, and you were at an impressionable age. And I mean, my sense of you from reading your memoir, uh, which is called Rumors of Glory, uh, for those who haven't read it yet. And I, I watched this documentary about you called Pacing the Cage. And I, uh-huh. my sense of you is is that you are, for some reason, you have been imbued with some kind of wanderlust. You're a traveler, uh, and you had a restlessness as a youth. And I don't mean to psychoanalyze you, but I know that you left Canada and your parents to go to school with some purpose, right? You you didn't like school. You didn't like high school. You hated high school. Yes, I did hate high school. <laughs> That's true. I, I mean, you know, you, like the hate, hate is relative, uh, uh, as is everything else, I guess. It's it just, it, it was, it felt like a prison sentence to be in high school. Public school, I liked, you know, I mean, I didn't, I, I wasn't thrilled with it. I, it wasn't like I just woke up every morning, die and get to school. But but I had a good time in public school, and I learned a lot, and, I, and it felt positive. But by the time I hit high school, uh, it, it wasn't like that. Well, high school, you got the so, hormones, you got the puberty, you got, oh, what's next in life? I'm becoming an adult? That's scary. Yep, yeah, all that stuff. And then the, the, 
the things I was good at, language and history and stuff like that. I mean, I, I had good relationships with the teachers of those subjects, but and French stuff like that. But well, French we sort of tortured the French teacher. But the but <laughs> uh, the the um, but with the subject with anything to do with math and science stuff like that that I that I wasn't really well suited for. I didn't do well, and the teachers were miserable, and you know I, it was kind of just a humiliating experience all around. So you know I was glad to get out of there. I didn't want to go to college. My parents were insistent about it, and luckily, I just happened to see in in an ad in Downbeat Mag. Well, actually, it wasn't an ad; it was an article about Berkeley and Downbeat Magazine, indicating that they were now uh, accredited and could give degrees. And before that, it was just you know a music school. But suddenly it was a college that was legal, gave real degrees and whatever. So I waved that at my parents, and they were so relieved that there was something that they wouldn't have to fight with me about that they jumped at that. And so I ended up going to Berkeley. But uh, but I dropped out after a couple of years, or a year and a half, really. Why did you drop out? I'm curious. Well, because I realized it wasn't for me. It was like I just had this... You mentioned wanderlust, and it's a kind of spiritual wanderlust, I guess, or or something. But and I understood that I needed to be somewhere else, hmm. and you know, I mean, there was. It just felt that the situation I was in in Boston, with with all of the things that I was surrounded by, was uh, not really going anywhere, and or at least not going where I needed to go. And I didn't know where that was. I had no no sense of a goal or anything, but I just knew that I had to move on from where I was and. So I did that and, you know, went back to Ottawa and joined a band. But uh, there was then a nebulous period of the second half of the 60s, basically, where you couldn't really tell what was going on from the outside. But I, I felt like that there was forward motion. And, um, and then I ended up kind of becoming me. Well, I mean, you've chosen travel as a, a primary vocational uh, <laughs> attribute. Like, you, you, you travel... And it started when you were younger, um, and it sounds like you had you were rejecting authority a little bit uh, generally. You were rejecting your your parents. You, you had to please them by going to school, but you didn't fulfill it uh, on some level. Um, you seem to have problems maybe with school authority too. People telling you what to do and trapping you in one place—that's not your thing. I mean, it's really nobody's thing, but <laughs> but it really does not seem yeah. to be your thing. You need to be moving and in control. Yeah, well, I've never liked people telling me what to do. That's for sure. Uh, and I, I've, it's not so much in control. I don't know. I haven't. I'd have to think about that one. I, I do like to be in control, but I'm not sure it extends as far as you're making it extend. But it might. And I. And, but really, if, if traveling was a career, it started in 1970 when I got my first vehicle. Right. And and my then wife and I drove west. And we we got a pickup truck and made it into a camper. Yeah, yeah. And and we were almost the only camper on the road in 1970. By by the mid 70s, there were lots of them. But but uh, when we were first doing it, you'd just run into one or two now and then, you know. And you could stop anywhere. You could pull, you could camp in the picnic sites along the road. You could just basically park anywhere and camp. That changed once the numbers got up there and and all the various jurisdictions realized that they wanted to control those things. But in the beginning, it was just pure adventure. And and that was the appeal. It was like, I, you know, it was exciting to think, wow, we've been, I've never really been West. Well, and that, so we're that... going to get in our, get in this, in this vehicle and we drive, you know, the, 
1500 miles of Ontario <laughs> and, and, and then suddenly be in Manitoba and where, where you get out of the trees and the sky opens up and it's, I mean, that, that was all very exciting. Well, that trip with Kitty that you're describing across Canada followed a, a trip you made as a younger guy on like, was it like a Russian uh, freighter or something? It was some kind of boat, right? Well, Kitty and I went to Europe on a Russian ship, but that was a bit later, but, but, uh, that was 73, I think. But oh, this was after? I had been, okay. Yeah, I had been to Europe, though, and uh, and that was, yeah, you know, actually, now that you mentioned that, I guess it really started there. That was between high school and Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, I went to Europe, and I went on a Norwegian freighter from Montreal to Norway. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, uh, yeah. And, and then went to, stayed with a Swedish friend in Stockholm for a little while, and then when the two of us hitchhiked down to Paris. Um, so that was, you know, that was a, an extended summer kind of between high school and Berkeley. And you, you say that this is a spiritual calling, your, your need to be, you know, where you need to be, something is driving you to move around <laughs> and go on these adventures and, and live the life you're living even to this day. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm travel is now less for adventure and more just for getting to gigs yeah <laughs> uh, it's, sure. uh, you know because i'm balancing that against having a family that's stationary i mean my my wife has a job in san francisco and i have a daughter in school there and uh, you know so uh, it, when my daughter's out of school she can come with me on the road and does but uh but you know i i spend less time on the road at a stretch now in order to have a family life that is functional because it's you know as as any anybody who does this much traveling will tell you it's very hard to balance those things out it's if if you let the traveling dominate then you don't have a family life for long well among the attributes that you're known for and celebrated for uh, you know beyond your um being a great artist a great guitarist great songwriter people associate you with the strength of your convictions uh, in terms of particular issues and I know ecologically that's a concern um, that a lot of us are going through. There's a moment in this documentary I was alluding to, uh, Pacing the Cage, where the, the interviewer says, so wh- how are you feeling about the environment? And you say, I think we're fucked. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, a, it's a very comical <laughs> comical cutaway. And this documentary came out a, a few years ago now. How are you feeling about a couple of things here? Um on some level, we might be more fucked. I, 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 would, I would say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the other, on another hand, um, there are more young people uh, organizing and, and trying to make their voices heard about this particular issue. So that's some glimmer of hope. Whether it's a, yes. it has any efficacy, I don't know. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then, sec- and then the other thing I want to ask you about is, you know, as a young person, you view travel as uh, a thing, a rite of passage almost. You know, I need to do this. I need to go out and see the world. But now as an adult, you must realize uh, the impact you're having as a as a traveler, um, your ecological footprint. So a few questions in one, but can you talk about those, your perspective on the movement towards uh, fighting climate change and, and also your role as an artist in contributing to that and, <laughs> and, and yeah, how you well, reconcile that? As an artist... It's my job to tell what I can of my truth as as I experience life, basically. Uh, I, that's how I see it. And so I put that stuff in the songs. And it happens that I'm confronted by, as is everyone else, by the degradation of, of our environment. And 
uh, it means something to me. It's particularly poignant for me because I grew up with a, a certain love of nature, and that, that, that love of nature was enhanced big time with those early travels in the West, the first encounter with the Rockies and, and all that. And we used to spend a lot of time in that part of the country. And, you know, and we watched it deteriorate. We watched the developments happen and we watched the tourism increase and the, just the, the more commercialized or the, the increase in commercialization of, of places like Banff and all that. And I mean, there's all kinds of sides to that picture so you know it's a you can't just sort of say well that shouldn't have happened mm. but but it, it i think it's safe to say it shouldn't have happened in the way that it did and to watch it happen that like that was heartbreaking and that goes on across the board the more you see of the world the, the more the more you see that happening and the more heartbreaking it becomes so yeah i mean that stuff shows up in the songs of yeah. those feelings and and the and the observations that have led to them show up in the songs and and once you've put stuff in a song then you're invited to discuss it as we are now yeah and and so it, it becomes you know a, a topic that i i've gotten associated with because of that but but and it, it matters a lot to me for me personally not so much now because i'm old and i you know i'm not going to be around that much longer but uh, don't say don't say that, Bruce. You'll be fine. Everything's fine. Uh, well, you know, I mean, if if nobody messes with me, I might last to five hundred. But <laughs> well, first but of I, all, have you found the bus? Are you still lost? That's my no, main answer. <laughs> Thank you. No, I actually found the bus. The navigation spirits took hold. And okay. Here I am. Okay. So it it was good. But but um, but yeah, I think about my my two daughters and and my grandchildren. That one the kids that, that my older daughter has hmm. and you know what, like what what world are they going to grow up into and and it's their problem and they're going to have to fix it because we my generation has not hmm. i mean my generation continues to trash it ever ever more vigorously and i mean you get mike pompeo was younger than me right and that asshole was standing up there saying Global warming is good because we're going to be able to get at the Arctic oil more easily. Right. Like now, how how ignorant, short-sighted, and 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 death-wish filled is that? And this is the thing. I mean, I remember saying this in you know conversations some years ago that I felt like humanity was at a point where we were confronted with these conflicting strains in us between the recognition of our interconnectedness and and our uh, you know, there's this, the need we have to be related to our surroundings and each other, which is real. And then this death wish, this this uh, Thanatos that we have in us that that's, you know, just wants to commit suicide mm. and and take everything with us as we go. And and if you look at the political arena and the economic arena, the sort of the the, the big the big picture there. You see Thanatos winning. You see, you see, across the board, the big decisions are being made by people who want us to all to die, whether they admit it or not, or recognize it or not. I, I, they, they don't, of course. But, but that's what it looks like to me. I mean, you're a Canadian living in America. How long have you been in San Francisco now? Uh, almost ten years. About ten years. And before that, you were where? Well, I lived back and forth between Brooklyn and and Kingston, Ontario, for a year. Okay. But and then I uh, I had had the place near Kingston, you know, for a little while before that. But so you know, this is my second stint living in the U.S. In the '60s, when I lived in Boston, 
it, it seemed insane <laughs> and then. And that was then. I mean, it still seems insane, and if anything, more so. Although it was pretty weird then, too, because the Vietnam War was on, and there was all the tensions around that, and, you know, we hadn't had Nixon yet, but... Uh, I've never heard was, anyone say that the 60s in America weren't weird. You almost said that. They weren't that weird, but the 60s were kind of weird. Like, we have to admit that. They, they weren't as weird as now, though. <laughs> That's I, probably I think, fair to I say. Mean, yeah. Really, I, really, I think, I think this, this country's in a more, an even more polarized state than it was then. Well, you uh, referenced Mike Pompeo's comments, and you mentioned your own generation. The brashness and the openness of this generational selfishness of only looking at what we need now and not worrying about your children, my children, the, the generations to come. As a Canadian living in America and and sort of seeing what that country is going through firsthand. Like, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, you say it's it's terrible, but as an active member of your community even, are you able to affect change? Do you feel like you have a voice there? Well, I don't, I, I'm not a citizen here, so I don't get to vote. Hmm. I do have a voice. I mean, people, you know, I have an audience that listens to what I have to say. Yeah. But most of them are already in agreement with what I have to say, and that's why they're my audience. Yeah. <laughs> but... We all live in these echo chambers, and and I mean, I think what's happening in the states is, well, the, the word I was going to use is contagious, but that perhaps isn't exactly right. I think it's a global phenomenon that is ex- being expressed as perhaps more vividly in the states than than we can see it elsewhere. But uh, I mean, this whole swing toward populism, to which is uh, basically a kind of a kind of selfishness. A, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weird code phrase that they've employed, I find, uh, populism. Yeah, well, yeah, because you think, you know, I mean, populism, the, what the word conjures up to me is, is a, you know, someone who cares about the working man, <laughs> so to speak, yeah, yeah. quote unquote, right? And, and that isn't what we've got. We've got people who, who play that game and the, the working folks are duped. Or appear to be by that, but uh, into because, supporting them. Yeah, that but brashness they're not, they're that I'm talking about. Yeah, friend. yeah, they're it's lying. All, they're just openly lying all the time. The open dishonesty yeah. is just mind-boggling. It's, yeah, and it's probably kind of foolish to say that it's the first time in the world it's been like this. But it might be the first time that it. it, it well, it is the first time since ancient, very ancient prehistoric times that that there's been a global culture. Right, and that global culture communicates with itself and feeds itself, and and when one part of it becomes infected with something, it all does. Mm-hmm. So this is the age of the internet and 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 globalization and everything, and and that's that's all part of that picture. So so you know uh, whether it's emanating from a particular place like the U.S. or whether it's just a, just a worldwide thing that's happening, we're all going to be affected by it, and we all are being affected by it, and. Canada is not not free of that either, as we can see looking at the politics currently. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's a tricky. We're we're at a difficult time, and people have to make very hard decisions now if we're going to survive. Because the easy decisions weren't made when they could have been. Well, maybe they were never easy, but they might have been easier had they been made sooner. But we've let that go by, and so now we're faced with you know the either or. Is either we have tar sands or we have you know whatever the lack of tar sands produces in alberta 
<laughs> you know, right. I mean, whatever that is. I, I mean, people, people will tell you all kinds of different things, but you're not going to have a healthy climate. You're not going to have a healthy economy even down the road by exploiting the tar sands now. But as you said, it's the short-term gain that is that everybody's looking at. So, and the, or, well, not everybody, as you also said. Like, it, <laughs> there is a hopeful point there. Yeah. Where there, there's a, there are all these young people, and they're not all young. I mean, my, there are lots of people in my generation that feel uh, like I do about these things and that are far more effective in their actions probably than I am about this. And it's the reason it hasn't ever disappeared completely off the table. Uh, yeah. Is that, you know, there's a lot of people that have been working on this since it first became apparent in, in the middle of the 20th century that this is where it was going. So if the young people can take up that torch and make something out of it, then then we do have a chance. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I agree with you. I appreciate your response to that, by the way. And I, I always have appreciated your outspokenness. And, and the, I mean, it's a frustrating thing. I feel like you allude to this in your book, you know, or, or maybe it's the documentary where you kind of say something along the lines of, I'm glad people are finally listening to things that we were talking about 20, 30 years ago. It might be too late, but at least they're listening now, which is interesting in itself. But one of the things you talk about in your book is as your music began to get more political or, you know, you're a real artist, you oscillate, you change constantly, and you lose audience members because of this for whatever reason. And as a working musician, I wonder about that. Is that anxiety-inducing to know that your entire career and livelihood is based on the whims of your followers, your fans? It didn't come as a surprise, and it's not really bothersome. It doesn't bother you. It, you you're, <laughs> really. you're used to it. It's I mean, well, you know, it, it's a factor in, in my ability to make a living, but, uh, but I've been blessed with the fact that whenever there has been that drop-off in an audience, there have been other people come in, in into the picture that, that are interested. So, you know, it's, it, it's always worked. It's working but, itself uh, out, so, yeah. Yeah, so I have, I, I mean, I, I have a certain luxury that way. I don't think that's a given. I think that it, I'm grateful for that because it's not something you take for granted. But it, it's been the case for me. But I, And I've also had a very capable manager in the form of Bernie Finkelstein for 50 years now who's, <laughs> who's uh, been able to navigate through all that stuff uh, on my behalf. And, and so, you know, those things are... are Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A great gift, but yeah, I mean, people come and go. You can't. Of course, you want everybody to love you. I mean, that's <laughs> that's that's why we step out in front of 
the public because we, we want everybody to give us a big hug. Yeah. But but you know it isn't going to be like that. And if you if you were under any illusions about that, you get that kicked out of you very quickly. The first time somebody says, "Oh, who you know, who's that asshole?" It's, it's just <laughs> that. Uh, I, there's a great this is i think did i put this in the book i can't remember but but at one point um oh no you know whenever i try to think of names uh, it, it it goes away the guy the, the al whatever his name is who did the year of the cat oh uh, uh english artist oh yeah who is that i'm blanking on it too i i mean I, I haven't seen him for years and years but i knew the guy that's not no it's uh who am i thinking of I don't want to. It's not um, Al Purdy. That's not who you're talking about. No, that no. That's an American. That's a Canadian poet, Al Purdy. And then there's Al Green, the the R&B singer. And there's Al Al Stewart. Al Al Stewart. Al Stewart. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah. So thank you, (laughs) Al Stewart. So Al Stewart and I were doing a gig together at the Yellow Door in Montreal, and uh, or was it the Yellow Door or the Back Door? There were two door clubs (laughs) by the same people. But but anyway, in one of those clubs, we were sharing a bill one night and. Uh, I, I, I think he went on first. I don't remember, but uh, this was before he'd had any big hits or anything. He was just an interesting singer-songwriter that was touring. Mm. So, so you know, he did his set, and then I did my set, and uh, and then we went to a deli after to, you know get some food, and and there was a, a bunch of us that went, and Al and I are there, and and uh, you know we had a nice time eating and. And uh, we're standing on the sidewalk kind of saying goodnight afterwards. And a guy who'd had a couple of beers came, comes up to us and he goes, and he recognized Al, Al Stewart. And he said, uh, he said, uh, oh, I, I saw your show tonight. You were really great. That was really entertaining. And you, you were terrific. And he said, and then, and he kind of, then he's paused and he said, but that other fairy. <laughs> and I was standing right there behind him. I just started laughing my head off, and we all looked at each other, and started laughing. And the poor guy didn't recognize me because I, had, I don't know why. I mean, you know, I don't think I looked that much different, but he didn't. Uh, and and uh, he had no idea what prompted all this laughter. But it it was a really funny moment, but indicative of of you know what we were just talking about that you learn quickly not to expect everybody to love you. Yeah. Even though, even though you wish they did. So. Well, I mean, you, you're such a you were uh, particularly successful in in the in the seventies, eighties, uh, and nineties. But I wonder about your relationship with modern music. Are you do you do you listen to lots of music? Does it still because you're also renowned for, as I said earlier, kind of switching your sounds up. You're a very open listener. You incorporate lots lots of different musical styles into your own work. Are you still kind of actively listening to music, and does that inform what you're doing? Well, uh, my two sources of music that are, that are most the most uh, consistent sources there. Uh, a friend that I have coffee with sometimes in the mornings who's who sends me YouTube links to all kinds of classical stuff that I wasn't aware of. Uh, there's sort of a period, so-called classical, but it, like I, it started because we had a conversation where I was saying, "Yeah, I really liked it up, up until the Baroque period, and then after." 1900 you know I, like the stuff that's happened after 1900 those that music i can get into but all that stuff that happened in between mozart and the romantic period and all that stuff i just i'm not there i don't it leaves me cold i i don't know anything about it uh-huh. so he started sending me links to great performances of some of these great pieces and i it's been very educational so i listen to those things 
lately he's been he's been finding great vocal performances, choral things and stuff. Hmm. So it's kind of mind expanding in a way. That you know, I've become and the other the other consistent source is my young daughter who's in second grade and who's a big fan of Jojo Siwa and you know the the sort of girl pop stuff ah, that's around okay, right okay. so i so i hear that and <laughs> uh, uh it's i mean some of it's great yeah some of it's some of it's yeah, but like for a while i was quite in love with the with that song havana uh-huh yeah my son which, likes that song a lot it's a great record yeah it's just a really great record and and you know uh it's been a long time since i paid any attention to what was on the radio uh <laughs> but I guess in the eighties, I sort of paid attention to what was on the radio and that's kind of the only time. Really? But, but, uh, cause why, it started why to fall apart after, well, oh. because radio got good. It was it, in you, it first, first there was in the seventies, there was, there was freeform FM, which was interesting because you just never knew what was going to come up. But generally whether, how interesting it was depended on the individual on air person and, and they would, they would pick what they played and, you know, if you, if you if you found someone you liked, that you whose taste you agreed with, kind of, then you could have a great time listening to the radio. But otherwise, you might be inundated with stuff that wasn't that interesting. But in the first half of the seventies, I avoided radio because I didn't want to sound like anybody else. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to be kind of uh, uh, you know influenced by people, other people who do anything like what I do. So I was listening to Renaissance music and uh, ethnic music from all over the place, uh, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. But and then I then I caught up. I got I discovered uh, Bob Marley and David Bowie and the Sex Pistols and and uh, I, you know I got excited about all of that stuff. And that lasted through the eighties, but and and through the the early nineties when there was triple A radio in the states that was also interesting and played a lot of a variety of of non formulaic music. Yeah. Uh, but then that fell apart after a while. It got those; it all got bought up and turned into more commercial things, or what were perceived to be more profit-making things. And it just got less interesting. And so, you know, and then it, what had been kind of mainstream radio became all talk radio, which is mostly. It's not, it would be nice if it were more boring. It's mostly just really irritating. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah. these horrendous people pontificating about this and that. Uh, but that said, I mean, uh, San Francisco is blessed with a bunch of pretty good radio stations. Uh, I listen to, there's a black-owned radio station that plays a lot of jazz, a lot of really great jazz, and a lot of old R&B and Stuff that's good, stuff that's that's got a sense of adventure in it. And there's a classical station that tends to be a little bit predictable, but sometimes they play some pretty good stuff too. And it, it's a better than average radio scene for the listener hmm. in that city than, than most other places I've been. But it's still, you know, what ha- what comes home is the stuff my daughter likes and and the stuff my friend sends me. Okay, you're not you know, so. you're not necessarily actively buying your own music or listening to your own music. It comes to that's you. that's a that's a very long way of saying yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was listening to your your latest album is is Bone on Bone, as far as I know. Is that correct? Well, we just finished the new one, but but yes, that's the last one that came out. Yeah. Right, the last one that's been released. We can get to that unreleased or, or up forthcoming one in a moment. But one of the moments that strikes me the most is the the title track. It's a uh, 
unless my speakers are broken, I believe it's an instrumental, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so I, I'm curious about your relationship with the guitar after all these years. The guitar as a as a kind of cultural touchstone is in an interesting place right now. I actually feel like uh, maybe two, three, four, five years ago, it felt like the popularity of the guitar as a as an instrument was maybe even on the decline. People were reporting that. Now I'm starting to hear it and see it more and more in, in more synthesized music and in uh, realms that maybe it wasn't always there, uh, you know, hip-hop, R&B. It's, it's really making a comeback. But you're renowned as a great guitar player. Does the instrument still surprise you? Are you still learning things about it? Yes, and, and uh, I'm still challenged constantly by things. In fact, in some ways more challenged because as I get older, it's harder to make the hands go. So I'm getting away with it so far, but it's I, <laughs> I can see a day coming when it's going to become you know when the balance will tip the other way uh, but but right now i mean i mean i'm still doing the stuff i need to do but but there's just always more the al- uh well you wanted to wait a few minutes to talk about it but i'll just say that no, the no, album you, you, just you, finished yeah go ahead it's is an, is an <laughs> instrumental album which is is all guitar basically and you know i think it came out really well so you know other people will be able to judge for themselves that you know whether that's true but but i think so and so it's it continues, but that's the that's what got me into music in the first place. I mean, I didn't start out as a teenager wanting to be a songwriter. I I wanted to play guitar, and I got interested in composition kind of through the guitar and through listening to jazz, and imagining that I would be a guitar a jazz guitarist someday and be a composer of music for large jazz ensembles which is what i went to school to study right and and then then it turned out okay i realized this isn't where it's supposed to go but you know my my interest in music started with the guitar so and it's always been pretty central well it's a it's fascinating to me that you've made an instrumental record uh that the one you're, you're describing um just because you strike me as someone who who always has a lot to say how do you make that decision to to ostensibly shut up and uh, <laughs> and just play some music. I mean, that that must be. Does that speak to a lack of something to say, or is it just a just a it different might, route? Different route. It might. It might. Well, it. I mean, it. It is. It is a fact. I don't know that it's exactly material, but it. But it is a fact that uh, you know, as at this point in my life, I've said a lot of stuff already. Yeah, and a lot of a lot a lot of what I have to say is still the same thing. So there's not there's no point in kind of just saying it over and over and over. So there, it's harder to think of new things to say or new ways to say the old things than it used to be because because of how much I've already done. Yeah, that's a fact. But in terms of the decision to make an instrumental album, it wasn't like that. We started out. We put out an instrumental album a few years ago called Speechless that uh-huh. was a compilation of previously released pieces with a few new ones on it. Mm-hmm. And, and the original intention with the new album was to do that again, basically a, a Speechless Volume 2 that would have had a bunch of pieces that have been recorded since Speechless came out and then some new pieces. But we ended up with so much new pieces that it became a whole new album. And, uh, you know, I just got all this music for said, some reason, because I was working on that and thinking about it that way. So, uh, and and it it is also a fact, I suppose, that I didn't come up with any songs <laughs> in that <laughs> same period. Otherwise, it, you know, there, the temptation might have been to put off the instrumental thing and try to go for more songs, but uh, for an album of songs. But I, it just seemed 
Bone on Bone worked out very well, and I was happy with the songs I got for that. And uh, you know, I don't feel in a hurry to to have to repeat that. Yeah. So it, it seemed like a good time to do this. So you, you, I don't know if you're using the Royal We, but who's involved in making this new instrumental album? Is it just you on guitar, or who's involved? It's mostly me. When I'm saying we, it's the decision makings are mostly me and Bernie Finkelstein. But yeah. but Colin Linden produced this the new al- produced the new album, and he plays on several of the pieces. Okay. Uh, and uh, we have one other guy. There's a, a guy named Bo Carper that I know in San Francisco, who's a really great guitar player, but also a great shaker player. And he plays uh, shakers on a couple of things. Colin's wife Janice Powers plays some keyboards on on it. But it's mostly a guitar record. Okay. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, can you give us a sense of what it's? Is it an acoustic uh, guitar record? Yeah. Okay. So it's. Yeah. There's one piece with electric guitar, but but. Uh, uh, actually, a piece that was actually recorded for Bone on Bone and didn't make it on that album huh. for various reasons. But it's a, it's a band piece with Ron Miles playing trumpet uh, as as was featured on on Bone on Bone. But the, with the exception of that piece, then everything is acoustic instruments built up. Two of the pieces were kind of built up in the studio, Im- improvised pieces layered uh, with different things in the studio and. Uh, and the rest of them were pieces that I c- composed ahead of time. Well, it sounds it sounds great. What's does does the, does the album have a name yet? Yes, it's called Crowing Ignites. Crowing ignites. What inspired that title? Uh, well, <laughs> here's a story. There's a um, long ago in the days when the Coburn clan had a clan chief, which hasn't been for a long time, like not since the 1600s or so. Oh, I see. But but sometime before that. A, clan chief came up with a family motto which was in latin it's a chendit cantu and that gets translated i'd seen this you know here and there the family crest is uh, or the, the coat of arms has a has mo- the most common version of it has three red roosters on a white shield but there's a badge that goes with that that the lesser beings who weren't entitled to wear the uh, or to flaunt the the uh, coat of arms c- could wear and that's uh, pictures a crowing rooster, oh. and with with this motto attended Cantu, and attended Cantu gets translated in, in various ways. Uh, I've seen it as music excites, or which I thought that was the first one. I thought, wow, that, how ironic and how kind of cool is that? that yeah, a family motto of a, for me that says music excites. But but uh, and then or he excites by crowing. But then I look at these, and I'm, uh, and having studied a little Latin in high school, it it, just, it didn't add up. So I actually translated it myself. I mean, not it's only two words, but <laughs> I looked up the two words in Latin, you know, in the in the in the dictionary, and what it actually says is, "crowing ignites." That's really so, cool. That's a cool so title. That be, yeah, and my wife said, "Oh, you got to use that for an album title." So, so we, I did. <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds exciting. When will when will we hear this record? When will it be out? It's due to come out in September. Okay. All right. And then I presume you tour behind it? We've got a bunch of stuff planned for the fall. And okay. um, so, yeah. Okay. As we're speaking, you're going to be playing uh, the Hillside Festival in Guelph. Uh, what's the mode for that show? Will you be uh, playing songs from this new record? Are you going to have a band? What's the deal? Do you know? Um, I'm going to have a band. And I'm actually excited about that because it's 
the same band that I was touring with when with Bone on Bone, and we haven't played together for a while, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting back together for these summer shows. So it'll be that. And I don't know yet what the repertoire is going to be. There's at least one piece from Crowing Ignites that I want to do okay. with the band, uh, but we haven't started rehearsing anything yet, so I, you know, I, I don't really know it's what's too, going to take shape. Too early to say. Yeah, but okay. it'll, it'll, but it's going to be great, though. <laughs> Safe to say, we know that that part is irrefutable. Okay, is there? Uh, where would you direct people? I don't know if you're on social media much yourself, Bruce, but where would you direct people who are listening uh, online? Where can they go to learn more about you? Well, you know, I'm not on social media at all. I have nothing to do with it. Okay. Other than other than the, to listen to the YouTube things that my friend <laughs> sends me, but but uh, I mean, I have there's there's brucecoburn.com there's uh, brucecoburn.org which is a, a fan-based website and there's uh, the Coburn Project which is another fan-based website all of those are sources of kind of legitimate information and and, and then there's just a bunch of other stuff out there that, okay. that, that I don't really know Ber- Bernie has a uh, has a Facebook presence on my behalf so I think if you if you go if you look for me on Facebook you'll get the this sort of I don't even, a page, I guess, if that's is that what it's called, that that, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that right. Bernie runs. You, know? <laughs> you and Bernie are... I've never been on Facebook, so I don't know what, what it, I don't know anything about it. But You're, it, you're, but, you're uh, better off. You're better off, Bruce. Uh, so I, that's my impression. I mean, at first it was just because I, it seemed like too much trouble, and but now I'm kind of glad. <laughs> I think you, like a lot of things in your life, I think you were kind of prescient about not wanting to be a part of this thing. Um, you and Bernie are pretty much brothers at this point, aren't you? In a way... For sure. I mean, it's my relationship with him is the longest lasting one of my life, other than with my immediate family. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So the new record will be out on True North, I assume. Yes, it is coming out on True North. Yeah. I assume. It's a, it, correctly. It's good. Good. Good to put it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a rash assumption in a way these days because no, you know, I mean, record companies are kind of a dying breed, and and the idea that I'm that anybody would have a deal with a record company that isn't. Britney Spears or somebody yeah. uh, would, or Taylor Swift. I mean, that is not a given at all. Like, yeah, people, it's hard to get record deals now. So yeah. it was really great that True North came through with uh, with uh, uh, the help that we needed for this album. Well, I, I normally end these conversations with people by asking them to select a song uh, for us to go out on by from their catalog. Usually, it's an artist. Uh, and myself talking about a new record, uh, as as your new record isn't quite out yet, I don't know if that's possible, but is there a song that you would, from your catalog, that you would select uh, for us to go out on? Yes, there is, as a matter of fact, and it just popped right into mind as soon as you raised the issue. Uh, it's an old one, like a really old one, um, and I, I'm not exactly sure if I can even name which album it's on, <laughs> uh, but it's called, it, but a song called When the Sun Goes Nova. Oh, okay. that I think is is a perfect uh, perfect one for now. Why did that come to mind? Uh, well, it, it, I've been singing it the last couple of nights because it came to mind, and it came to mind because, well, because my daughter, my young daughter, forces me to listen to my old music because she wants to hear it, and so I was kind of reminded of the songs because of that, and then it just seemed pertinent to the times we're in, so that... Well, I didn't mean to interrogate you. Don't feel that was a good answer. Don't feel bad. You sounded sheepish at the end that you didn't do a good job. I think you did a great job. 
<laughs> from uh, from 1973. I've, I've been a so. professional of sounding <laughs> It's true. Maybe you have. That might be something you've excelled in somehow. Uh, from 1973's Night Vision, this is when the sun goes nova by Bruce Coburn. Bruce, this was a, a, a true thrill and an honor to get to speak with you. I hope you enjoyed it, and I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. Oh, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Fish. When the sun goes over and the world turns over, I don't want to be alone. So, honey, come on home. If you're in the valley, when the dam breaks, pally, you is going to feel alone. So, honey, come on. If you're on the bum, the policeman come. If you lose your grip or your trousers rip, I'll be waiting, Very special thanks again to Bruce Coburn for being on this, the 484th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and Spotify and YouTube and Audio Boom as well. If you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at vishcreative, or follow me directly at vishkana. You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. 
Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. It means the world that you do that. So please, please do. If you haven't, if you haven't yet made your monthly flexible donation, please consider doing so. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts for their in-kind support for this show. Always thanks to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use a song of his to end the show each week. You can learn more about him at jimguthrie.org. And thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode with Bruce Coburn and subscribing to this podcast and maybe checking out some of the 483 other episodes that are out there. And uh, yeah, that's all I got for now. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.